Hi, you're tuning in to Rusty Thomas, where once a week he brings the brilliance of scripture to every dynamic of life. For the last 40 years, Rusty has served the Lord as a father, minister, and political figure on the streets, churches, and capitals in our nation and abroad. You are going to hear compelling truths that will prayerfully build up your faith and equip you to meet the challenges of life with the confidence of God's Word. This is Kingdom Moments with my father, Rusty Thomas. Well, howdy, folks. Uh, Welcome to another podcast episode. You're with Kingdom Moments with Rusty Thomas. God's grace and peace be unto you, brethren. Uh, Today, we're going to do a special interview with a young man who's uh, made national and local news Uh, He was part of a group of saints uh, in Wisconsin uh, that went to stand in the gap and make up the hedge uh, at a drag queen event that was uh, abusing and seducing young people into um, just pedophilia, to a perversion. And um, and so uh, brothers like Jason Storm and Pastor Matt Chuella, along with uh, a group of young people, went there uh, uh, out of love and concern for these children that were being subject to this perversion and was really calling upon the authorities uh, to stop this evil and abuse. And in typical fashion, uh, they were considered the bad guys. They were considered the criminals. And... um, and Marcus and a couple of other young people were arrested simply trying to rescue children uh, from, you know, sexualization, you know, these pedophiles grooming them for, for future abuse. So uh, I uh, invited Marcus to come on the program uh, to get this out as soon as possible. Uh, Marcus uh, is the son of Rustin Schroeder. And those of you who may not know Rustin, uh, some of you may know him, but he was a man that uh, a few months back came alongside uh, to help our ministry and our books and our vision and mission. He's a very skilled uh, man uh, with many giftings, and he used those to really help uh, spread uh, the effectiveness of our ministry uh, to a wider audience. So um, I'm, I deeply appreciate uh, his dad, uh, Rustin. He's been a great help. And, um, and Marcus, um, he's a young man uh, that has really taken the admonishment. You know, when I was the uh, national director of uh, Operation Rescue, Operation Save America, and when I stepped down, I turned the mantle over to Jason Storms, uh, Darren Stid, Lucas Childress, and Matt Brock. And my last official message uh, leading OSA was further up and further in. And this young man has taken that admonishment uh, in his heart and along with a lot of young people uh, in OSA 
They have uh, stepped up. They are taking their place in the battle and they are storming the gates of hell. So we really do have hope for the future when we have uh, young men like Marcus. So Marcus, I want to welcome you uh, to Kingdom Moments with Rusty Thomas. And as we begin this interview, Marcus, if you can, just give us a little background on your family and how you were raised and uh, maybe give us a little uh, understanding of how you came to faith in Christ. Sounds good. Thank you for having me on. And when I was I was raised in a Christian family. I was homeschooled almost all of my life. And then for a couple of years, I went to small Christian schools. Um, but most of my life and all of high school, I was homeschooled. Um, I had a mom and a dad uh, who, you know, were Christians, taught me in the Bible. And my mom, I, I'd, I'd probably say that one of the things that really forms most of what I'm doing today and has really helped me out in in this battle now is my mom, when I was a freshman in high school, really pushed me to do uh, speech and debate quite competitively. And so um, my first year, I was I was pretty terrible at it. But then by my last year, I was pretty good at it. So after doing it for about four years. Um, and so that, that really helped prepare me to be able to think critically about um, the things going on in our world, to be able to communicate clearly and, and you know, just be able to uh, spread the message to others in an effective way. And so I was, I was saved when I was four years old. Um, I just realized that, you know, I was a sinner and in need of a savior. And uh, my mom, you know, has kind of recorded a lot of things that I might not remember as well, but she has recorded, you know, as soon as I was like three, four years old, I started asking very deep questions of my parents. Why does God allow evil in the world? You know, um, do people have free will or, you know, what exactly does that look like? And I was, I was asking some deep questions. I was asking my mom, what is the gospel? Why do we need to be saved? You know, how, how can we get saved? Things like that. And, you know, when I was four, um, you know, there's some things that I had done wrong. I think I was given a timeout in the corner or something like that. And it was there that, you know, I realized, you know, it just kind of all came together. And even though I didn't understand what all it meant at the time, I just knew that, um, if I wanted um, to be freed from my sins, that only came through putting my faith in Christ. So, um, yeah, so so God saved me when I was four. And then right away I was kind of lit up with fire. I'm a very passionate kind of guy. You know, I, my, typically when I learn something or I, I know something is right or something needs to be done, I'm not, I'm not the one to just be like, okay, that's cool. I, I want to go do something about it. And so I started at like four or five years old, taking gospel tracts and handing them out to people um, at the store and just anywhere I could. But then, you know, throughout, through my life, you know, that just kind of faded out at some point. And, you know, I got busy with life and kind of lost sight, I guess, as it talks in Revelation of my first love, kind of lost sight of, of those things, of that passion. And so when I was, you know, in eighth grade, uh, was just kind of living a typical eighth grader's life, you know, wasn't really concerned about the things of God, wasn't, wasn't concerned about ministry or anything like that. Uh, when, when I read the book, The Hiding Place, and, and there were actually probably three things in my life that God used to bring me into the kingdom and bring me into, into the battle, into the front lines. 
um, in this culture. And so the first one was reading the book, The Hiding Place. And uh, for those who aren't familiar, you know, it's just the story of Corrie ten Boom who saved Jews from the Nazi Holocaust. And I remember reading that book and being inspired and being like, if I were to live during Nazi Germany or in a Holocaust like that, I would have been like Corrie ten Boom and I would have saved those Jews. And just kind of, I was, I was the hero in my own mind. And then the second thing that happened is I went with my mom and I saw the movie Unplanned. And that just really shook me. Um, it showed abortion for what it was. And as I saw that, you know, the realization, I, I connected the two, the hiding place and this movie, I connected the two. And I'm like, wait a minute, I have been living in the midst of a Holocaust. I've been living in the midst where millions of children are being brutally murdered every year. And I've done nothing about it. I haven't been that hero that I thought I was, right? And as I came to that realization, I just walked away from the theater that night, feeling both kind of sick to my stomach, like something needs to be done about this. And, and also fired up, like, there's something that can be done about this. And that's what I'm going to do. And so I, I looked up missionaries to the preborn, which is um, ministry that we had been involved with um, years before, um, with Pastor Matt Shuela. And, and what we saw was actually right at this time, they were doing an Operation Save America conference in Milwaukee. And this was in 2019. And so I saw that and, you know, that was actually, I think the, the very next month. And so I, I decided, you know, that's what I'm going to, I'm going to do about this. I'm going to go to this conference and, and participate in the ministry that's being done. And so I joined the OSA conference that year in 2019 and that week really just took my life and turned it upside down. Hmm. And I guess since then, the rest has pretty much, you know, been history. It's all, it's all been since then I've put my hands to the plow and, and, you know, try to stay faithful in that ministry. So, so Marcus, um, yeah, you got involved with, uh, OSA and, and I'm sure you met a lot of other young people, uh, that were going through similar convictions and experiences. Uh, I know eventually you guys kind of started, uh, your own ministry. I think it was it called warriors for Christ. Tell us yes, a little sir. bit about that. Yeah. So as I was doing ministry, I didn't really know a lot of the younger people here, um, who go to mercy seat, like the storms and the trellis and whatnot, which is the, the church up here by me who, that will they'll go on and do that ministry outside the abortion clinics and things like that. I wasn't super familiar with them. I wasn't friends with any of them at the time. And so what I started doing for a while was just going out by myself after the OSA conference. I didn't really know how many local people there were that were doing that kind of thing. So I just started going out by myself to the abortion clinic. And many times, you know, the, the nights that I would go, it would just be me and maybe one other older person there. Sometimes it was just me. Sometimes, you know, there was a couple people I didn't even know. And, but that's what I, I tried doing. And for about a year, I was praying that, you know, I, I had a prayer journal at the time and, um, over and over and over again, my repeated prayer was just that God would bring one friend to come do ministry with. And I would always invite my friends. I, I had a big friend circle from the speech and debate that I was doing. 
And so I would always invite these friends and tell them, hey, we need to take action. Come out and join me. I'm, I'm going out to the abortion clinic. And none of them were ever really interested. And then the ones who did seem interested, they're like, oh, that's good that you're doing that. But then they were always busy and they never really seemed interested in joining. And so I just prayed. And it, it was about a year um, of me praying, just going through my prayer journal. If you look at it, it's probably about a, a year of asking God, just bring me one friend. That's all I want, just one friend where I can go out and have a buddy that I do it with. And and what was interesting was probably after a year of, you know, just asking God for that, I finally had one friend who I'd invited to ministry events countless times before. And he had always been too busy or, you know, things like that. I finally was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to invite him another time. And so I sent him a text and he's like, you know what, I'm going to come. And that, that, you know, that was exciting. And then, you know, a couple hours later, he texted me and he said, is it all right if I bring one of my friends too? I said, yeah, of course. <laughs> um, absolutely. And so, and so he, they came out and typically what I found is it can be really hard to get some of those young people out there for the first time. But once they're out there, they're outside the abortion clinic, most of them, unless they're just completely hard and most of them, their heart, you know, their hearts will just break down for what's going on in front of them and they will they'll be lit on fire and like, we need to do something about this. And it's, it's just the work of trying to get them out there that first time. Right. Um, but yeah, so both of them, that was their experience. And so they were like, let's go out to the abortion clinic every week. And that's not even something I had been doing at the time. And so I was like, wow, I was like, this is encouraging. So both of them. So then there was three of us. And then um, once there was a group of us, then it was a lot easier for others to start joining. Um, I guess that's just how it is. Um, so how many uh, how many do you think you have now running together um, and and doing this ministry of, of young people specifically with the, our Warriors for Christ group that we've got going? I probably say somewhere between forty and fifty. Wow! Wow! So the gentle revolution is on in earnest. Hallelujah. That's awesome, Marcus. It truly, truly is. So, okay, so you guys have been kind of, you know, iron sharpening iron, provoking one another to love and good works. And uh, this ministry is growing. More young people are getting involved, uh, which is that is just a tremendously good report uh, to be hearing. Um, so. You guys are going along, and I know you know Brother Jason was with you, and and Pastor Matt. So you had some adults uh, with you, uh, kind of covering you guys in the battle, training you in the battle, and um, and so uh, as you're fighting against child sacrifice, the shedding of innocent blood all of a sudden you become aware, hey, uh, there is some other very real evils that are taking place in the world. And again, as it pertains to children, you know, I wrote uh, the Watertown um, authorities, the mayor and the chief of police. And, and, and part of the letter, I say, you know, our national model has uh, changed from in God we trust to devil take the youngest and i talked about we're butchering you know children in the womb committing child sacrificing you know sacrifice where we're uh, kidnapping 
uh, children out of the womb and putting them in the pipeline of human sex trafficking. And now we have these drag queen events where you have groomers that you are literally allowing adults um, to sexualize uh, the children and groom them uh, for future sexual abuse. And so you all become aware of this, Marcus. So tell us how you kind of transition uh, to that that aspect of the battle. Yeah, I, I think it's really all the same battle. It's a, an attack upon and a, an attempt to destroy the family in society, the, the building block of of society. So if you can, if you can increase abortion, you can increase divorce. You can, you can start teaching children that you know you don't know what your gender is, or you know it's fine to have two moms and no dad and and things like that. Um, you know you, you've essentially torn apart our own society, and so I I view this really as the same battle that this is. Uh, a defense on our side for for the family, the institution that God has put as the building block for our nation, and and so. But how how we specifically started to expand? I think, I think. Well, the, the funny thing is, is two three years ago there were hardly any drag queen story hours that we could even go to to protest because th- those weren't very accepted. And so I think it was two two or three years ago. Um, we were looking for some drag queen story hours to go to in the area. And I think there was one going on all year. And then if we wanted to go to a second one, it would be like a two hour drive down to Chicago. Now I think I've been to a pride event almost every week and not all of them are drag queen story hours, but in, in Southeastern Wisconsin, I've probably been to 10 drag queen events in just this, this summer. And so you can see the way that they've been continuing to push this, where, where in two years they're able to make that much progress. And so I think part of them starting to take that much progress and that much ground in the culture is part of what made it so that we start going out to these as well. Um, but what happened was our, our first um, Warriors for Christ event was um, a year and a half ago about now. And it was on abortion, and we just so planned the dates beforehand, not even knowing about the leaked draft. The leaked draft about Roe being overturned hadn't even come out yet. It just so happened by the providence of God that the first day that we had picked as the beginning of our conference, Roe versus Wade was overturned. Wow. And so what happened with that in Wisconsin was because we had laws on the books from, I think, 1849 – um, it it automatically made it a a uh, first degree homicide to have an abortion um, to murder those children, and of course we had a pro life governor who made exemptions for the mother and things like that. But the result of it was that the abortion clinics were required to shut down, and since then have been shut down. Um, one of them has actually gone out of business here in Milwaukee, the the largest abortion clinic in Milwaukee just out of business a few months ago. Um, Now, of course, that is still a battle that we have to fight because they're trying to get it back. And of course, we have the the pills and things like that. But but because of that, a lot of our ministry was going out to the abortion clinics weekly. And so when they shut down, 
we naturally looked for other things to go to. And that's when I think the Drag Queen Story Hours caught our attention. And we started planning for our next event. So we, we host a, a conference once a year, um, a Warriors for Christ conference. And so we were planning our next Warriors for Christ conference. And we decided to have the focus this year be on the LGBTQ LGBTQ movement and what is the Christian response to that? Why should we be engaged in fighting this and how can we do that? And we just actually had that conference um, uh, in early June and it went very well and um, it has, you know, we, we've seen great fruit from that. So that that's part of, you know, how we just kind of transitioned into fighting a lot of these things as well with the Drag Queen Story Hours. Okay, so praise the Lord. Um so you've been to um, a few of these uh, drag queen events, um, but just recently you went to one and the proverbial crap hit the fan. Um, it was um, just something about that particular event that just went viral. Um, and so if you could just share a little bit about uh, what happened in Watertown uh, at that drag queen event, and then what has been, uh, you know, what, what came in the wake of of that event? Yeah, so we went there just to do the same thing that we've always done, preach the gospel, hand out tracts, be a public witness against this evil, get on recording some of the things that the drag queens were doing. So we have video evidence. So, I mean, a lot of people don't even believe that this is going on. It's hard to believe, really. And so, you know, we'll go there and we'll give video evidence. This is what the drag queens were doing. This is this is what's going on in your town. We need to do something about this, get others, pe- other people involved. And there were... There, I, th- I think they had, from what I heard, 70% of their police force there that day. Wow. Tons of police. Now, I heard later that there was a rumor or something that there had been a threat or something that had been made online, and that's why um, they had so many police. But, you know, nothing nothing went down that day violently or anything like that. And if, the, if there was any threat, that nobody went through with anything. Um and so, but anyway, so they had 70% of their police force there from, if I, if I remember the numbers correctly. And so tons of police, but there, there was a handful of them for sure. Mo- most of them were just kind of, seemed like they were there to, you know, they were, they were there just because that was their job. And, and so they were just there to watch and, you know, keep the peace and whatnot. But there was a handful that were very clearly biased against us and were very hostile to our group the entire time. And if you see the video, the, the officer who grabbed the mic out of my hand, um, uh, that he was actually a sergeant. He had shoved into some people from our group earlier that day. He had even told one of the guys in our group to his face that he was going to treat our groups unequally, that he was going to treat us more severely and be more harsh towards our group than he was the drag queen event. And his excuse for that was, well, they have a permit for the park. Um, but essentially, that meant that they got free reign, that they could grab our signs. But if we read the Bible on the sidewalk, then we would be arrested and they won it. And so, um, yeah, they, they were very clearly hostile to us the entire day and, and specifically our group. And so um, later, 
later uh, or earlier in the day, we had an amplification system, our speaker and mic, and we were walking inside the fence where they had the drag queen story hour. So they have this fenced in area where they have the story hour going on. And one of our guys was walking and he was holding the speaker and mic. And so one of the officers came up to him and said, you can't have that in here because they have a permit for this area. So you need to take it outside of the fence. He didn't take the speaker from us. He didn't say we couldn't have it. He just said, you need to take the, the speaker outside the fence because this is their permitted area. And so we did that. And a few hours later, I, I get the speaker and mic and I start reading from Galatians 5. I turn on the speaker and mic. I start reading from Galatians 5 on the public sidewalk outside of the fence. So not in their permitted area or anything like that. And earlier, because in the video, some people have asked, like, the, the officer says, oh, this is the same speaker as before. And so people are wondering, does that mean you received a warning before? No, that's not the case. There was no warning or anything like that. Me preaching from Galatians 5 in the video was actually the first time that we used the amplification. The only thing that was said to us before was, you can't have it inside the fence. So I take it outside the fence, and I'm reading from Galatians 5 on the public sidewalk. And instantly, as soon as I turn it on and start reading, a whole horde of um, police officers start surrounding me. And then that sergeant comes up and rips the mic out of my hand. Doesn't say anything to me. Doesn't doesn't ask me to turn it off. Doesn't ask me um, to turn it down to a certain decibel level or anything like that. Just comes up and starts ripping it out of my hand. And so, you know, people from our group were asking, why are you doing this? What's going on? Is there a code that he's broken? And then right there with hardly any explanation from the officers, they arrest me. They handcuff me and they, they take me away. Now, were you, uh, Marcus, were you the only one that was arrested? There were three others who were arrested. They weren't, they weren't handcuffed or taken to the station, but um, the, the, the officers did say you were under arrest. And um, what happened then was they essentially just escorted them off the park and then um, I think two of them received citations and the other one was let free. But mm. So they yeah. weren't officially charged? Um, the, the one who was let free, I do not believe, was officially charged from what I remember. Okay. So, but they did charge you? Yes, they did charge me two citations. They took me to the police station and everything like that. I got all my information, my, my mugshot and whatnot. And, and what they did was they charged me with amplification without a permit. And then the second charge was resisting arrest. Because you didn't understand why he, he was taking the microphone from you, right? And he didn't right. even explain anything, right? So you were just right. trying to well, hold on to the microphone. Right. What's interesting about that, though, is when I asked the officer who handcuffed me why I was being charged with resisting arrest, he didn't say anything about the microphone or anything like that. He just said, your muscles tensed up. And so that, that, was, the, that was the way I resisted arrest. And if you, if you watch the video, the only thing I resisted was when he tries ripping the mic from my hand. As soon as I saw I was under arrest, I didn't resist anything. There right. was nothing I resisted. My muscles tensed up because he grabs me from behind and starts well, putting my arm. He's taking away and pri private property um, without any explanation. Um, right. So, yeah, you're just trying to hold on to what's yours. Um, and so, yeah, that's uh, the deal. And unfortunately, in this battle through the years, Marcus, um, when 
the gospel ministry goes forth in areas that they'd rather not see it manifest. Um, so many times we were arrested and thrown in jail, and we're literally watching the police go through their book trying to figure out what to charge us with because many times it's the superiors that are just saying hey we cannot have this we we cannot have this this conflict this confrontation and so unfortunately and this is what's happening in our nation and why the church must get involved because our city and state and national governments they're literally making a conscious and deliberate decision to support and endorse and defend that which God considers abominations. And so that sort of civil government is not neutral. So if you're going to defend that which God considers an abomination, you must of necessity punish the righteous. And so they're making a deliberate decision to defend these abominations, knowing consciously that it is violating our First Amendment rights as citizens in the United States of America. And so you, Marcus, you know, have uh, experienced that. And so on the heels of your arrest and the others that got arrested, what happened, brother? What what came in the wake of that arrest? They, um, after the arrest, they, and take me to the police station, they let me free and they, they essentially said that if I step on any Watertown public parks, their parking lots, anything, if I, if, one of the officers said, if I'm even on the roads nearby, that I'm going to be arrested again and charged with state charges and essentially put in jail. Um, so apparently they can do that where they can, you know, they can ban me from the park for two weeks. Um, and so what happened after that, there a couple days went by. Um, I, I think the first interview I did was with a local conservative um, show, Vicki McKenna here in um, Wisconsin. And um, I, I was contacted by someone who just messaged me and said, hey, you should you should call in because she's talking about you. So I just called in and whatnot and mentioned it. And then, so she had me on the broadcast again, but then ever since then I've had countless people contacting me, asking me to be on interviews, podcasts. Um, I was on um, a TV show last night with Brandon house and And any, any national uh, news pick up this story. Yeah. So news, I think Newsweek. I will be on their show Friday night. Um, Fox News did an article on it last night. Uh, Jordan Peterson tweeted the video last night. Um, Scarlett mm. Johnson, I think, tweeted the video. And so the video online has gone viral um, and and has just gotten all over um, the online community. And then I also spoke, I think, two nights ago now at a city council meeting in Watertown. And so I spoke before the mayor um, and the police chief and those people that you wrote a letter to. I, I testified at their city council meeting. And of course, I only had three minutes, but um, I got up there and 
um, they were talking about, you know, the Nazi group that had showed up earlier that day that has been talked about in the news. Um, and, and essentially it, it was a group that showed up for about 20 minutes and that, that was, they essentially got the news coverage and then left. And then since then, we've been framed as if we were a part of that group in some way. Sure. When we've never sure. seen that group before, never seen them after. So what I what I did is as they were all talking about and trying well, to let, frame let me us interject as, here just a minute here, buddy, because people don't understand how deep this warfare goes. And there's a lot of guerrilla warfare that takes place in this battle. So many times, Marcus, when we were storming the gates of hell, you know, there were people who showed up that pretended to be OSA and was, was uh, basically communicating. They were with us, but of course they were not with us. They were against us. And so they would act the fool and they would do, you know, um, in speech or indeed do crazy violent acts. So this way, uh, the authorities and the media could paint us with a broad brush that this is who these people are and this is how they roll and nothing could be further from the truth. So God only knows like who invited the Nazi group there, but I can guarantee you uh, the powers that be are going to use that against you to paint you with that brush. And so we do have to, you know, understand in this warfare, we do have to have great discernment of how cunning our enemies truly are who are inspired by the devil. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what was going on that day because, you know, they showed up for 20 minutes. As soon as they got the news coverage, they leave. And we were there all day from like 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. And so and it was something that was very clearly, I don't know who they were, or how they got there, or who set that up. But, um, you know, th that, that was clearly what was going on there. And so at this county, this the city council meeting um, the, the next night, uh, we we had many people on the LGBTQ activist side that were getting up there and trying to group us in with the Nazis and saying that these people were standing on the same side of the fence as the Nazis and, and things like that. And so I go up there and I, I start off by just asking a question, what is wrong with Nazism? I, if we are the result of evolved stardust, our ancestors were fish, we're the descendants of monkeys. If, if you want to reject the Christian God and we're all animals and we can live and do whatever we want, then what's wrong with Nazism? Hmm, that's good. And, and then I told them, of course, why Nazism is wrong according to the Christian worldview. We're made in God's image with worth and with value and human life ought to be protected. And we have these certain unalienable rights given to us from God. Um, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we, we have these rights. And so, you know, I tell them why, according to the Christian worldview, why these things are, are, are immoral, they, they are evil. But I said, you can't accept the fruits of the Christian worldview while denying the foundation and trying to reject the foundation. And so that's, that was my main message. And then I also talked about... Did you, uh, did you of, make application when it came to the um, abuse of children? Yeah, I, I talked about the idea of intolerance and and how 
they're trying to say that we're intolerant towards what they're doing. And I said, well, it's, it's this, this idea that, that we can just be a tolerant culture isn't actually correct. Every culture has intolerance. Because if I'm tolerant of children, I'm going to be intolerant of abortion and, and vice versa. And so if you, if you love children, you hate abortion. You love abortion, you hate children. And, and so no matter what, you're going to have a culture that has certain things it's intolerant towards. I just said the question is what is the object of into- intolerance? And the more that we are tolerant of sexual immorality, the more – that we're going to be intolerant of the Christian worldview. And I said, the more that we're intolerant of the Christian worldview, the more that we're going to see Nazis in the streets, the more that we're going to see lawlessness in our cities, the more that we're going to see drag queens dressed in lingerie doing sexual performances in front of children. And, and so I said, you know, we we can, we can have a conversation we can have disagreements um, I, I'm happy to talk to anybody from the other side. I've had ho- hours of discussions with, with people from the other side, and I will listen to um, the things that they've been through, and, and I'll have that conversation. But there comes a point, I said, when we all have to understand that we stand before God, and we're going to have to give an account for whether or not we protected the innocence of the children in our community, and whether or not we allowed them to be completely destroyed, their innocence completely stripped away from them at this small age. And so... Um, that, that was my message. Of course, I only had three minutes, but that was gotten on video. And then that video has, has gone viral as well and has Praise been shared on, on many different platforms. That's so good, buddy. And, and we do have to make a distinction, Marcus, between the, you know, the individual that has been captured by that demonic lust and is uh, torturing them in their minds. And then, of course, the agenda that is seeking to evangelize and recruit children uh, into their ranks, you know, and this is something that the church of Jesus Christ must realize that, you know, for the individual, yeah, we can have compassion and we can minister the gospel to them, but this is an evil, wicked agenda. And they flat out are telling us we're coming for your children. Uh, they're they're letting known uh, their agenda, and, and and of course their agenda cannot survive because they don't reproduce. They're not having kids, so they must of necessity capture our children uh, to make sure their agenda uh, stays alive and it grows and it prospers. And so this is something you know we as the Church of Jesus Christ must deal with. So, Marcus, on the heels of that, uh, I'm going to ask you real quickly, like what uh, when you're being interviewed, whether local or national, what sort of questions are, are they asking you? Many of them are just asking me what happened and I, I relate to them what has happened. And um, but as much as I can, I, I tell people that that the reason this is happening is because we haven't taken a stand sooner because this is this is happening in our watch. We have supposedly 173 million Christians living in America. You know, it's not like we're the minority in in this this country and the the church is asleep and so I'll I'll share that message with people but you know they'll they'll just be asking me what happens uh what 
what, what the drag queens were doing, having me relay the events of the day, asking me what kind of ministry that we're doing, and then just also asking why I'm passionate about this. Why am I, why was I out there? Like, what are my reasons and motives behind this? Um, so those, those are typically the kinds of questions that are getting asked. All right. Awesome, buddy. Okay. So we're, we're kind of closing in on our time frame here. So Marcus, before uh, we end this interview, um, what message would you like to send uh, to young people being raised uh, in this generation, brother? What would be your encouragement? What would be your inspiration? What would be your message uh, to uh, specifically Christian young people raised uh, in a generation that has obviously uh, been captured by the evil one and is devouring children? Yeah, I, I mean, my main message, my, my first thing would just be faithful in the ministry. Put your hands to the plow and, and be faithful. Um, I'm getting national news and media and, and things like that, but um, th that, that's not what ministry is typically like. Typically, ministry is is the hard work of going to events, going and ministering to people, having these conversations. And, and a lot of times, it, you don't see a ton of fruit. And so that's why it says, do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap a harvest if we do not lose heart. And so many times it's, it's, it's not the fun of, of getting interviews or, or having the media or the attention. It's, it's the hard work of day to day, keeping your hands to the plow, taking a stand for truth and for justice. And something that, um, I mean, really, when you look at the situation, there's nothing I did different than I'm any of then what I've been doing the last four years or any of my friends or any of the 40 to 50 people in our group have been doing, um, you know, we'll go out there and preach the gospel. And that's the same thing I did. I didn't do anything different or anything special that all of a sudden got me this attention. It was, it was somehow God saw fit to bring this attention, to be able to spread this message out. Um, but I was just doing the same thing that we've always been doing. Um, just preaching the gospel and, and taking a stand. And so it's like that passage in, in Luke 5 where they're fishing all night, Peter and the fishermen, and they're, they're fishing all night and they're not catching any fish and there's nothing coming into the nets. And then Jesus comes and says, you know, cast the net on the other side of the boat. And they do so and their nets are breaking. Well, you know, that's, that's what we've been doing. And so many times you're going to have it where you're, you're going out, you're doing ministry, but we are fishers of men and, and you'll be fishing and your nets will be empty all night long, all day long. You, you won't be catching a single fish. And then as you stay faithful in that and you don't lose heart, there will be times when Christ will see fit to come over and say, cast your net on the other side and your mm -hmm. nets will start to break. And so, you know, that's that's really what we're having right now is, you know, there, there's nothing different that we've done um, that has garnered this attention. It's, it's the same thing that we've been doing. And so, you know, just stay faithful in that ministry. And then the other thing, too, is is when we look at um, I, th I think a quote I would I would like to leave with is uh, a young person from Nazi Germany who actually attempted to resist the evil that was going on her day. Her name was Sophie Scholl, and she was beheaded at the age of 21 for taking a stand for truth and righteousness and taking a stand against the great evils of her age. 
And she said a quote that has always kind of pushed me on and inspired me. And I, I believe these were her last words before she died. She said, how can we expect righteousness to prevail when there is hardly anyone willing to give themselves up for a righteous cause? And think about that for a moment and realize that so often we see these things in the news. We see the drag queens. We see the LGBTQ movement spreading across America. And most of the times we meet in our Bible studies and we complain about what's going on. And then we do nothing about it. And then we continue to go and stay inside the four walls of our church building week after week after week, not doing anything in the public square, when the, the history of the apostles and the Christians in the book of Acts and all throughout history was to go into the darkest places of the culture and bring the light of Christ there and put it on a lampstand, even if that meant that they were going to be thrown in jail. Peter and John were thrown into jail. Angel breaks them out. Their first response is to go back to the exact same place and continue to preach the gospel. And so that is what we need to see an awakening in the church amongst young people, amongst the older people, you know, all ages, all all different denominations, all Christians need to have this awakening where they realize we no longer have the convenience of staying in our comfort and ease inside our church buildings and not caring about what's going on. Because if we continue to do that, if we don't meet the enemy at before battle, if we don't meet them in the fields of battle, then next thing we know, they're going to be knocking down our front door. And so we want to meet them to protect these children. These children are our neighbors. We're called to love them as we love ourselves. And so we're called to love them, take a stand for justice and take a stand for these children before next thing we know they're coming for our children and at that point there's no one left to take a stand yeah amen so uh, marcus um how can uh, folks uh, get a hold of you especially young people who may have been really touched and convicted um, by this interview um what i'd like you to do is um to send me um any links um you know you have I know you have the Sentinel article. We probably should have that linked uh, to this interview. But if there's any other things that we can uh, put uh, as a resource uh, in this interview, I need you to send it to me, Marcus. Anything that you think would be relevant uh, that would, uh, you know, help uh, the church, help Christians. But specifically, I'm thinking about young people. Um, yes. Um, how they can get in contact with you and um, and you could uh, maybe spend some time uh, to help encourage them, inspire them and equip them uh, to join the fray and enter this battle for the souls of men, the lives of children and the future of our nation. Yes, yes. Um, the Probably the best way for people to contact me. Um, right now would be through Facebook or social media, um, Marcus Schrader. Um, my profile picture is me getting arrested, so it should be recognizable. Um, and then for links uh, for others who want, uh, Warriors for Christ Studios is our YouTube channel. And so we don't have a ton of videos up there right now, but we do have some speeches and some inspiring videos for young people and you know, just calling people to action and, and some speeches that we've done um, before politicians and things like that on there. 
and and so go there but we will we're planning on posting more videos as this case unfolds legally and as as we continue to fight this fight we'll be posting updates on there and and having more videos as we continue to stay faithful um, to the ministry so warriors for christ studios is the is the youtube channel okay so make sure marcus i get those links you can private message me and i'll, I'll make sure that it's a part of the resource in this interview well young man you encourage this old man's heart and um so uh so blessed uh to see young people understand uh the issues of the day and its implications and have the love and the courage and the understanding uh, to go forth uh, uh, into this battle. Uh, and so very encouraging, buddy, and appreciate you guys so much. And uh, so, folks, uh, this was an interview with Marcus Schroeder or Schrader. Is it Schrader? Yes, it's Schrader. Okay. I've been saying you wrong the whole time. <laughs> always do that <laughs> um, but anyway no, right. obviously uh, this is a quality young man whose god has his hand on and he's raising him up uh, pray for him um, and pray for these young people um, they're taking to uh, taking a stand to the point it's going to cost them something and um, there's very few young people and there's very few old people in the body of Christ that are willing to do that. And so rarity determines value. And this is very valuable uh, in the heart of our Lord. So, brothers and sisters, I, I pray that you were uh, uh, convicted and encouraged and inspired by this interview. And as usual, you keep pressing on to that high call and prize in Jesus' name. God bless you, saints. Till next time.